It's time for another episode of Dynasty Oasis podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Newts and Josh Adkins. Greetings and welcome to the Dynasty Oasis podcast. Uh, my name is Matthew Newts. You can find me on Twitter at Nasty Newts, N-A-S-T-Y-N-E-U-T-Z. Uh, with me today, as always, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Joshua Adkins. You can find him on Twitter at Dynasty Oasis. How's it going, Josh? It's going great. Spelled out the nasty part of, of the, the the Twitter handle there. That gave it a little extra flair. Well, um, some people just don't know how to spell nasty, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever thought about putting D-Y at the front, like Dynasty Newts, Dynasty Newts? That might be a little confusing that it would throw out the nasty part of the message. Sorry, I just turned my TV on to watch the, the <laughs> basketball game and I forgot to mute it first. So that was professional podcasting work by me there. So uh, yeah, uh, Dynasty Newts could be in the mix. We'll, we'll keep you posted on that later. Right on. And yeah, we had a fun weekend of, of sports. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming we weren't the only ones who had, you know, a fantasy baseball draft this weekend. That was a lot of fun. March Madness is in full throw. We had a couple uh, double-digit seeds advance, so that was fun this weekend. But kind of the big news, kind of to really kick the whole weekend off, get things started, was on Friday. Uh, San Francisco, Miami, and, and Philadelphia kind of shook things up at the top of the board. you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely uh, um, would have liked to have recorded uh, on Friday last week instead sure. of Thursday. But, yeah, we've been kind of waiting for some, some juicy uh, draft action, and we got uh, – couple of mammoth trades, man, that kind of caught uh, me off guard, at least. I'm sure it kind of surprised you. Usually these trades either happen like on draft day or a couple days right. leading up to the draft, but we're like, what, a, a, exactly a month away? And, and these teams are already willing to change their positioning, which leads me to believe San Francisco knows exactly who's going to be there at third. Trevor Lawrence going one, obvious, but um, with the connection between Robert Sala and the Jets, maybe they have some inside steam on who the Jets prefer at two. Sure. So, um, but yeah, I guess we just got to kind of think and uh, piece this together. It seems like uh, well, so, Zach, so hold on. Let's just just in case people sure. haven't heard. So the compensation was San Fran moved from 112 to 103. They gave up a first, a third, and a first to do it. Um, so Miami was back at 112, and then they quickly turned around and traded 112. Uh, their fourth round pick this year, pick 123, as well as I believe one of the first they pick up picked up from San Fran. I haven't actually seen that. Um, technically, if it was their pick or San Fran's, but a uh, 2022 first. Um, and they move up six spots and get back a fifth-round pick, pick 156. All right, I don't, I don't want to cut you off there, but I just kind of wanted no, to. No, that's all right. Good to reiterate, you know, what was involved. Uh, it, it's easy to forget all the uh, moving pieces, so that's a uh, good job by you. Well, and then I think the, the big news today, and, and, you know, you were starting to get to who who's the quarterback going to be here because I think that they probably know that, that Zach Wilson is going to. I think that's fair to – Fair to believe, especially as you pointed out, the Robert Sala connection. Um, but I think that there was some talk immediately when this trade was made about Mac Jones potentially being the the guy in the fit. Um, and then if you're reading the tea leaves today, the news is that uh, they're going to be at the Alabama Pro Day tomorrow instead of the Ohio State Pro Day tomorrow. They obviously can't be in two places at once, but they had the choice to go see Justin Fields or to go see Mac Jones. Um, both Lynch and Shanahan are going to see Jones. So... Um, I guess, you know, this is the time of the year where NFL teams lie like crazy and they, they do it to right. try to improve their position and improve their chances. I'm having a hard time piecing together what would be the advantage of doing this if they really were looking at fields. So 
Um, I guess maybe that if if New York really decides not to take a quarterback, maybe that's the steam they have. They don't want to see somebody trade up. If if maybe the the field steam is more real in NFL circles than it is kind of right now in sort of the media circle. Um, I don't know. I'm having a really hard time figuring this out. I sort of feel like it's Mac Jones if you're just sort of taking this at face value. But um, I know he's not either of our quarterback three. And I think from a talent perspective, and a, you know, we talked about this last week. I don't think that there's a, a downside or a, uh, a limited upside with Mac because I think what eventually takes quarterbacks to the upside that they have is the the mental processing and, and the study of the game. But man, I'm not taking him at pick three overall. And so um, this is going to be an incredibly interesting draft and, and two and three are going to be um, fascinating, uh, especially early. Yeah, I think I'm going to try not to read too much into this because you could certainly read into it like, yeah, Mac Jones is the guy, and I'm sure we'll see a lot of takes like that. But I think you could easily make the case that they're just posturing for whatever reason. I don't know how it would even benefit them. Or maybe they know they, they're drafting fields or they're pretty set on fields. They don't need to go and watch his pro day. Um, okay. So where maybe Mac Jones is kind of the next guy, they just want to see if there's something they're missing there to catapult him. I don't think – this necessarily means that Mac Jones will be a Niner, but it makes it uh, more possible than I would have guessed uh, before, I guess. Well, right. I think when that steam got thrown out on Friday, when I was watching, you know, NFL Live or NFL Network and people started, it was this for Mac Jones or is this for one of the other guys? Because they're probably not going to get Wilson. I kind of thought that's that's silly. But then what they did today sort of, to me, in some ways, confirms it. I think if you were really on the fence, you'd send one one coach or, you know, you'd send Shanahan one spot and Lynch the other. Um, again, I just, I, I think if, if the Jets are going to go quarterback, it's Wilson and that's the only real, real decision. You know, the, the decision is Wilson or a tackle or somebody to help Darnold. That's the decision that the Jets are having right now. So I just don't quite understand what the posturing would be um would be for and like you said maybe they're just their their verdicts out for them on on fields they don't think they need to see them i know they said that they're gonna bring them in for a private workout so um i guess the good news here is if it is mac jones and while i think that that would be a reach from a talent perspective i also sort of feel like if we're looking at this from a dynasty and a fantasy lens which is what this show is supposed to be about is kind of the best case scenario for everybody involved. I think that's the best place Mac could be, you know, could potentially land where he's got Kittle, Ayuk, a good offensive line, you know, Debo Samuel, a good running game, a good coordinator. All the pieces are in place to sort of help him along early on in his career. Um, whereas I think Trey Lance going to Carolina is kind of what we want anywhere where he could sort of sit and learn. I think maybe if this were to be the case, I think that there's a chance that it might actually be the best case scenario for all the quarterbacks to fall into better spots behind um, New York and, and you know, um, some of the other landing spots that were out there. So, yeah, that's definitely true. And I agree with that. I'm just not quite as ready to pencil Mac Jones's name into uh, San Francisco personally. Fair enough. How about what Miami did? Obviously, they move all the way back to 12 and they jump back up. Um, it seems to me that the indication would be that they're probably looking playmaker there, but I think offensive tackles probably still, still, a you know, potential, uh, boy, they got a lot of picks in the upcoming drafts. This is a team that, you know, if you held to, I think you're feeling or bought to a, for that matter, at probably at a decreased price. I think you're feeling pretty good right now. This, this has, this is an organization that has a chance to be, um, a juggernaut, uh, in the coming years. 
Yeah, absolutely. Miami's keep getting dividends on the Laramie Tunsil trade. I think he's turned into four different first round <laughs> picks now at this rate. Uh, what a what a heist that was. But yeah. Uh, the, the, the Philly Miami trade was almost more shocking than the San Francisco trade. Uh, yeah. I don't quite understand why Philly felt the need to move back now. Um, I mean, I get, you get a first round pick to move down six spots. I don't think that's a bad deal for them. Sure. I'm just, uh, like six could still be quarterback range for someone else. Like if, uh, Denver or Carolina got really desperate, they may need to pay yeah. multiple first-round picks to get up to six if Trey Lance or Justin Fields were to slide to that point. So I guess I don't quite understand why Philly did this now, but Miami has just been uh, kind of a master class at collecting assets, and now is the time to start cashing in on those assets, especially if you believe in Tua, which this is a clear sign, I think, that they're fully committed to him. Uh, there yeah. were some steam that they may consider one of these quarterbacks if they weren't fully in on Tua, so... That's definitely good news for your uh, Tua managers out there. Well, and again, I don't want to speculate on Deshaun Watson, but I think a lot of that steam has died with with all the recent news surrounding right. him, too. And so that's an option that's been taken off the table for all but one team, the, the team that he's currently on. So um, I think, yeah, you, you piece those two things together, and now they're they're probably going to get a Kyle Pitts or a Jamar Chase here. And um, it's it's got the makings of a fun offense and, and reason to believe still if, if Tua can – um, get healthy, I think, at the end of the day. Um, which one would you prefer for Miami, just as a dynasty manager? Which guy would you like that fit better for, Chase or Pitts? Well, I was watching a fair amount of Miami film today because of the Fitzpatrick uh, film study I had to do. They do like using two tight ends, and so um, you look at what Pitts can do in line as and split out as a wide receiver. Gusecki can do some of those very same things. I don't think that... Um, Pitts is ne- necessarily precluded from going there. I think Jamar Chase would make infinitely more sense, though, for what they need. I don't believe in Devontae Parker. Um, I think Will Fuller was a nice addition as a secondary weapon there. Um, but I think Jamar Chase, if you know, if for this year, while you have Parker, you can kick him into the slot, and then you can make him your alpha um, going for- forward. I do think that that's the best-case scenario for Miami. Right on, and uh, I kind of give my take on what I think about Philly and that move for them, but um, I didn't really talk about what does this mean for them in the draft? What do you think they were willing to move down to 12 for? Are they still in play for one of the Alabama receivers maybe at 12? Do you think that's kind of the direction um, they're going to go with that pick? Yeah, you know, I understand what you said about Philly, about the timing of it, of, of on the clock. And, you know, this is true in the real NFL as much as it is here is is typically on the clock is when your, your pick is going to be worth the most. And so this sort of preemptively moving back, um, I don't necessarily get what I will say now is they are positioned with the most picks in the draft this year. Um, and if the Carson Wentz trade works out the way they've intended, which is that they're going to get a first round pick because Wentz plays 75 percent of the snaps or whatever it was. Um, they're going to be sitting with three first-round picks next year. So I think now that they can fully go away from the quarterback position, they can build a team around Hurts and give him a prove-it year. Um, And if he doesn't play well, I think that they're in a a good position next year to get that new face of the franchise quarterback with three first-round picks. So I like what Philly did. Um, I'm not necessarily sure who they're going to go with. I mean, they could, they could really build this team out in a lot of different ways. They, you know, they value offensive line. I think that offensive line has gotten old very quick. It's a good range for that type of player. 
Um, but yeah, very likely, I think the mocks were largely projecting Smith or Chase or uh, one of these weapons to go there, and it wouldn't shock me to see them still get that at 12. Yeah, I, I could see many draft scenarios where one or two of these receivers start to slide a little bit more than mm-hmm. expected just because of positional depth in the draft and just the league as a whole. Absolutely. Um, how about any cascading effects on the draft? I mean, um, obviously, uh, we've sort of talked about the teams that were involved in the trade. Do you think, I mean, this sort of puts Atlanta on the clock in terms of um, if somebody wants to get up for a quarterback, we've talked about that Matt Ryan extension and that put his potential exodus from Atlanta at least past 2022. So I don't think they're in the position to take a quarterback. We've talked about the top of the board not fitting them real well. Um, I think they're a candidate to move back, but I think Carolina is one of the teams that would move up. They're not going to, you know, I don't think they're going to play ball with an in-division trade for a quarterback. Um, So I guess Denver, New England, um, I think we could still potentially see that. And, you know, I think this almost assures Cincinnati their top pick of, of tackles off of the board. Yeah, and uh, I read today that Joe Burrow was lobbying privately for uh, Jamar Chase to be his teammate <laughs> once more. So uh, it doesn't surprise me. But I think yeah. Joe Burrow, if he if he took a step back and looked at things a little um, uh, less provincial, he would understand that they need O line help more than they need Jamar Chase. But to your original point. Uh, Yeah, the quarterback uh, market now kind of begins at pick four and uh, Carolina and Denver, the pressure's on, man. And I think Denver's kind of in the driver's seat to go up and get Fields or Lance or Jones, whichever one isn't taken by San Francisco. Um, So, yeah, I I think things actually are kind of working out for Denver. I do think they're going to have to move up. Yep. Maybe Miami moves down again. Maybe they collect another first round pick along the way at six. But, yeah. Atlanta and Denver seem like natural trade partners because I totally agree. I'd be shocked if they if they allowed Carolina to get their quarterback of the future. Yeah, um, I think that the, the last team to throw into play, and maybe it's a good segue to, to our free agency discussion, is New England. They're sitting right. there at 15. Um, you know, when I look at the way that they're going to have to build this offense um, next year with Cam Newton as the presumed day one starter, Um, I think Trey Lance makes a ton of sense, and I think he's more than likely going to be there at four. So I don't want to take them out of the mix either because um, I guess what I saw from Cam Newton is a player that um, wasn't really able to hold up this season, and I think Trey Lance would be almost a seamless transition if they wanted to make it about week eight. Um, So I think they're kind of a team to to throw in there too. And um, let's just dive right in on, on Cam Newton. I don't know how many games you, you managed to watch. I watched, uh, his first two and his last, uh, two, um, certainly he was impressive early in the season. Um, that Miami game, especially every time that they gave him a man, man coverage matchup, he, he audibled out of it. He went to some sort of quarterback run and, um, he had his best game. I think he had a 40 point fantasy game that week, mm-hmm. um, looked sensational, but it really waned down the stretch with him. Um, it seemed like they were, they being the new England Patriots seemed to really take the ball out of his hands in terms of that running style. And part of that was, um, they trailed a lot more late in the season, but also I think that they were trying to maybe get an evaluation of cam as a thrower. Um, and while I, I, you know, watching, watching back his game film to me, it felt like, uh, certainly 50% of the blame, you know, for their inefficiencies had to fall on cam, but I also feel like it fell on, 
Um, not having skill position players that could get open, especially against man coverage when they stopped letting Cam run. Um, and so I think I want to bring you in here too because you evaluated two of his new potential receivers. Um, Cam certainly needs to be better. He needs to stay healthy. We, we'll never really know how much the COVID thing affected him, but I think we both agree he needs better weapons. You did right. some evaluation on Bourne and Aguilar, and that's kind of where I'd like to get you in. What did you see from those players? Are they substantial upgrades from Demir Bird, um, Julian Edelman, uh, Jacoby Myers? Some of the guys Cam was throwing last year. What were your thoughts on them? Yeah, it was hard for me to separate initially my disgust at the stupidness of the contracts and just evaluate them in this offense as a player. Aguilar, I, I watched a little bit of his film from Philly back when he struggled, and I watched a little bit of his film from uh, Las Vegas last year where I was actually rather pleasantly surprised and impressed okay. by him as a player. He was more for the Raiders what I thought Henry Ruggs would be, that deep threat, mm -hmm. the guy that was more reliable. I think he only had one drop last year. So if you're getting that Nelson Aguilar, I think Cam Newton can work with that. I think he can do a lot of the things that Jacoby Myers was able to do at times for him, but better. Um, yeah, the contract was foolish, but um, we don't know what Edelman's going to bring for this team. And I, I, I think it's pretty clear cut as of now that ne Nelson Aguilar is going to be the leading target getter from this wide receiver group. I think he's probably going to be similar to Janu and Hunter Henry in targets, but I, I think he's um, probably a bit of a hidden asset right now in the dynasty community. People aren't really excited about him, and I understand that, but there's going to be volume there, and I think he's good enough that the production will follow as long as the drops don't return. Well, and I think the interesting thing about Aguilar, maybe you can confirm this based on what you saw on film, I think the thing he does best is what this offense does need most, and that's a vertical threat, somebody right. to stress safeties deep. Um, and to more importantly, almost, uh, aside from just maybe hitting a big play every now and again, but opening up some some you know holes within the intermediate areas of, of zone coverage um, where you can find an Edelman or you could find a Kendrick Bourne or you can find one of these tight ends. Um, that, to me, when I watched Cam and I watched this offense, that was what was really lacking that – you know, everybody could just sort of sit on um, sit on their, their toes and drive on routes because they were never really afraid of anything going over the top of them. Um, and in, in the instances where they did set those types of things up and I got to see Cam let the, let the arm loose, I think there's still enough arm talent there. I guess really the bigger issue for me with um, Cam as a thrower is you just see um, really some, like, fun – Every so often, it doesn't. It just looks uncomfortable when he throws the ball. There's times where it, it looks like he tenses up almost. I'm not sure if he's worried about taking a hit or what. But there's a couple short arm throws from this year where um, you just kind of go. You got to hang in there and make a throw because that that, that player was open. Um, right. And so you know, Cam. Um, if they don't draft somebody, what are your thoughts on Cam for the the full length of the season? A, can he hold up? Do you think they're going to try to do at the start of what you know at the start of this year what they did with him last year, which was run him a lot, and that sort of proved to not be sustainable? What are your thoughts on Cam as a dynasty asset, just maybe in general? 
I may have a few prefaces here, but if you're holding on to Cam Newton in Dynasty, you're most likely in a super flex league. If you're in a yeah. one quarterback league, Cam Newton's probably not important to worry Agreed. about. But in super flex, you're obvi- there's obviously a manager in every super flex league that has Cam Newton. And you not only, I think, have to dodge a draft bullet now with San Francisco moving up, everyone wants to put uh-huh. Jimmy Garoppolo back in New England sure, and sure. go back to a more traditional offense that they ran under Tom Brady for all those years. Not saying he's any anything close to as good as Brady, but it would allow McDaniels to maybe kind of blast from the past with that style of offense. But I I like your thinking of pairing Cam with Trey Lance. That would make an absolute ton of sense. Um, Cam's a guy that I feel like is lacking in confidence. Um, I think that affected his game almost as much as, you know, his body just wearing down from all the hits from all the years. I feel like he... He knew he was Superman um, early in his career and could get away with stuff. And now that his he's not quite that much of a freak anymore, I just I feel like he doesn't trust his body enough. And I think there's still enough of a player there. I'm just really torn on if if we really ever see you know even eighty percent of Pete Cam Newton again. I, I I'm glad he looks like he's getting another shot because he was just too fun of a player in his prime. I really hope they're find a way for this to work for Cam. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I, it's, he's a guy that I root for. Uh, thinking this through kind of live as we're talking, you know, I almost wonder if Trey Lance wouldn't be the best thing for Cam Newton owners or managers. Um, yeah. Because I think it would give New England the freedom to play Cam Newton the way I think he needs to be played for him to both be a successful NFL quarterback as well as um, a successful fantasy or dynasty quarterback. Um, because they would have the assurance of having somebody behind him who's very similar, who can operate in the same way if they need to mid-game, you know, put a different quarterback in. The game plan doesn't have to change. I think that there's some serious, you know, advantage to that um, because I, th- I think if they end up striking out at quarterback, um, it's going to be much more of what we saw second half of the season with Cam Newton because you can't, you just can't risk him going out there and trying to be Superman anymore. It just, I don't think that that's going to ever be um, the game plan for him. And I think, you know, if we get an early season stretch like we did last year, I think with everything you have, you have to find a way to, to get out because you're right. I don't think we're ever, I don't, 80% of Cam Newton, I think is, is very generous. I think we might never see 65% of Pete Cam Newton ever again. That's very uh, fair. Did you did you have any other notes on Aguilar and Bourne? Otherwise, uh, why don't you move to uh, the new Chicago quarterback, Andy? Dalton? Yeah, we didn't really talk about Bourne, which is fine. That's fair. <laughs> I don't think we need to. Um, yeah, I didn't really. He's have fine. To. He's he's a good yeah. player. He's a good second or third wide receiver. You know, um, I don't believe in. I don't. I don't understand why they paid him the money they did. But he's a fine NFL player. The only he was Dalton. Advice I would have. Oh, sorry, real quick on Bourne. The only dynasty advice I would give on him is I he really would only interest me in a deeper, uh, best ball format. But other than that, I don't think you need to care. Andy Dalton, on the other hand, this is very interesting to me because it's not the sexiest landing spot you could have imagined for him or for the Bears. But in you know, in a weird way, it's almost the perfect marriage of mm-hmm. uh, a team that just is perpetually uh, acquiring these stop gaps now. But I think Andy Dalton's a little bit more than that. I think he's more than what they had in Nick Foles. I think he's more than, I don't know, I guess Trubisky was not intended to be a stopgap. But I think he provides more for this offense than either of those two did. Trubisky showed flashes of, you know, pseudo brilliance at times. But for the most part, he was a disaster. As Mm -hmm. far as Dalton goes, I think it just 
fits their receiving core better. He likes kind of that bigger body guy like sure, Allen yeah. Robinson, even though we wanted something better for Robinson. I think this is a decent consolation prize for Robinson managers. Um, yep, it makes yep. me a little more bullish on him again. And granted, this is probably not a long-term thing, but um happy about that. I feel better um, for my Darnell Mooney shares with Andy Dalton. Um, I think he can feed these two guys plenty well enough. Um, I, I think the the better Dalton film to watch for this offense is the Cincinnati film from a few years back. Um, sure. Even back when they had like Marvin Jones and AJ Green, I think the offense could kind of um, look similar to that. Like when they had Gio Bernard and maybe even uh-huh. a young Joe Mixon use Cohen in the Bernard role. Um, and Montgomery kind of be the poor man's Joe Mixon, but yeah, I don't see any reason why Dalton can't throw for 4,000 yards and 25 touchdowns. I mean, it's not going to wow you, but super flex that matters. Um, I think he's gonna, he's kind of a tough peg right now for me in super flex value wise. Cause I feel like he's going to be a starting quarterback for the most part for another three or four years. I just don't think there's going to be any stability in where that is. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I guess in Superflex, he's probably worth an early second round pick for me, uh, in rookie draft for acquisition. Would you think that's about right? Uh, yeah, I would want to wait on the clock and see, you know, sure. if Mac Jones really goes three, I, I certainly don't think he'll fall as far as we had sort of talked about him in our film, uh, review the other day of, you know, kind of that right at the second round turn, um, he'd be available. I would certainly rather have Mac, but I think once he gets off the board, I don't think that there's another rookie that even comes close. So yeah, if you're, if you're in need of quarterback, you're a contender, I'd, I'd pay an early second, uh, for Andy Dalton pretty much. Yeah. Pretty easily actually. Well, um, let I me ask. The, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask a different question as a pseudo segue. I think the answer to this in redraft is pretty obvious. Which of these two quarterbacks you prefer between Ryan Fitzpatrick, the next man up on our list, or Andy Dalton? But in Dynasty, would you rather have Ryan Fitzpatrick, probably only a one year guy, um, or Andy Dalton, who you've probably got a longer runway for, but I don't expect the the production to match what you're going to get out of Fitz this upcoming year in Washington? Yeah, that's a really good question because, because I mean, and the easy answer of course is, you know, if I'm a contender, I want Fitzpatrick. And if I'm rebuilding, I want Dalton because there's a little bit longer window to sell. Um, I, I think personally, I would rather just have Fitzpatrick almost in any situation. I think um, if I've got either of these players, you know, if, if I am a contender, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick could be a legit game changer as your super flex second quarterback. Um, but in the instance where I'm just trying to shop and trade one of these guys, I think the highest value, even if people are looking at it as a one one you know year, what's left of the year value at, at the trade deadline. Um, I do think Fitzpatrick's the one who will garner you you more. So, yeah, well, I would rather have Fitzpatrick. You know, you posed the question to me, and I think it's it's much closer than um, I would have initially thought on first glance after just kind of thinking about it. Where, where are you on that one? Would you rather have Dalton? Well, I might have said that before I asked the question, but now that, like you said, I've thought about it more as you were talking, and I do agree that if you, even if you're a non-contender, 
you can easily flip Fitzpatrick in week six, seven, eight of your uh, league to a contender, and you're going to get, you know, whatever, maybe their late first-round pick even, because sure. contenders get desperate. They they see a chance at a title, and they may give up something stupid for what Ryan Fitzpatrick in season. So I think either way, he's probably, in a weird way, the right answer, just because I think you can turn him into more than what he's even worth now. Yeah, one impactful season I think is worth more than just you know, three seasons of having a warm body with Andy Dalton, though um, I will admit I, I'm with you. I think he's this is not the last year we see Andy Dalton as a starter um, for better or worse. Um, moving on to the actually, you know, I didn't really talk a, a heck of a lot about Fitzpatrick here. We just kind of compared him to, to oh, Dalton. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the big takeaway I had with Fitzpatrick, I mean, obviously, you, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's a veteran quarterback. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, uh, you know, flinch under pressure. Um, he knows how to operate an offense. He, you know, can make all the throws, yada, yada, yada. You know kind of who the player is. I think as I look at how he fits for uh, Washington specifically, I think the two big takeaways I had were, one, this is a, a very big plus for Antonio Gibson. Obviously, last year in Miami, there was plenty of pass-catching weapons in uh, the backfield there, and Fitzpatrick leaned on that. And that's not something I necessarily saw out of him in previous seasons where seemed like the, the gunslinger part of him was was more there. He was much more willing, it felt like, last year um, to, to check the ball down, and I think it served him well, and I think that's something that, um, you know, Gibson had a, a, a very surprising stat line in terms of much better rushing numbers than we expected and not quite the receiving numbers. Um, mm-hmm. I think Fitzpatrick gives a lot of reason to believe that that's going to change. The thing that I was a little bit worried about is sort of the other MO that Ryan Fitzpatrick has is when he faces pressure, um, if he's not going to check it down to a running back, he's going to take a back shoulder shot to one of his perimeter receivers. I don't know who that is for Washington right now. That's um, a good point. Ter- Terry McLaurin's a very, very good player and a- almost a borderline elite, just primo number one wide receiver. But that's not who Terry McLaurin is. We both like Curtis Samuel a lot as a slot and move hybrid player. That's definitely not who Curtis Samuel is, even though I think that there's more verticality to his game than is is sort of meets the eye initially. So I'm just wondering if this is still something that they're going to address in the draft. Is it something maybe they're going to ask Logan Thomas to do? Um, just who is that guy? Because I think that's something for Fitzpatrick that's that he's been able to rely on the last two stops he's been at, either in Miami or Tampa. And I just don't know who that guy is in Washington. Yeah, I think when we did our NFC East preview a few weeks back, I'm pretty sure we gave them, was it Deami Brown or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Even like a Nico Collins a little bit later, I think would Mm -hmm. be a decent fit for them. But yeah, I don't think they're done at the wide receiver position. I absolutely expect Washington to take a mid-round guy that could hopefully maybe do exactly what you just alluded to. I think that's a really good point. Absolutely. Uh, so that was kind of what I had on Fitzpatrick. I mean, he's the same guy. Well, I think where let's end it is, you know, I, I asked you, I think this a couple weeks ago, Dynasty Top 12, um, but I never really gave my answer in terms of, not Dynasty Top 12, Redraft Top 12 next year for Fitzpatrick. You said yes. Um, I think I'm going to say yes, too. I really think that that's a, a very realistic possibility, um, which probably even still makes him a buy off of, off of some of the recent news. Um, did you have any different take on, on Fitzpatrick and his value? No, I love him. I, I want him so, on all my redraft games. <laughs> what, let me ask this. In a dynasty redraft league right now, 
Um, are, is, I, what I basically said about Dalton was I'm waiting until after Mac Jones. Assuming Mac doesn't go three to San Fran, let's say he goes more where he had been projected in that 12 to 15 range. Mm-hmm. Are you taking Mac Jones or are you taking Ryan Fitzpatrick in Dynasty Leagues? Yeah, and again, I'm going to kind of steal your cop-out take on him or Dalton. Yeah, it that... depends on what you are, but yeah. um, I'm probably taking Mac Jones either way, um, de- regardless of Fitch. If it's super flex. If it's one quarterback, give me Fitz. If it's super, super flex, Mac Jones. Okay, fair enough. Uh, moving on to the running backs that we drafted, we both uh, drafted a couple. We got uh, Jamal Williams and Carlos Hyde coming up here. I think let's start with Jamal Williams because I have another Jacksonville player as well, and I think we can kind of just talk about um, the two of them in tandem. So, uh, yeah. you know, I was watching uh, uh, NFL Network today, and they had Dan Campbell on a Zoom call. Uh, he is everything as advertised. He's just big chew in his mouth. He, <laughs> it looks like he's sitting on the porch at like at his cabin or something like that. He's, he's ungroomed and, um, I'm kind of following. I don't know if it's going to work or not. I'm falling in love with Dan Campbell all, all, all over again at the same time. It's going to be a really fun ride, whether it's a train wreck or a success. I don't care. It's going to be a lot more interesting team than the Matt Patricia era Lions. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he'd be a hard guy not to kind of root for a little bit. Um, yeah, and it may be a dumpster fire. Who knows? But I, I don't think Jamal Williams was a dumpster fire style move for them. I'm sure most people's initial reaction when they signed him was to cringe a little bit because you're either a DeAndre Swift manager and that bothered you because there was another running back in the fold or yep. you're a guy like me and you were hoping for a really good situation for Jamal Williams because mm-hmm. he's a guy we've talked about a lot on the show and a guy we both kind of sneakily like. And I had that same reaction at first but the more and more i think about it i'm fine with it i i should have never expected jamal williams to land in a weird spot where he was the clear guy right that's that was just it was atlanta or yeah exactly yeah it was a long shot for that to happen so for detroit could he be latavius murray absolutely i i think that's a really good comp that you made Mm -hmm. since dan campbell came from New Orleans. I think he liked that style of backfield they had there. Um, I think DeAndre Swift's going to get a, more carries than Kamara, a little less receptions. Sure, there's yeah. absolutely a role for Williams in this team. We've talked ad nauseum about his pass-blocking ability out of the running back position, but that really matters to coaches. And especially, like you mentioned, a kind of a, a meathead like Dan Campbell, <laughs> he's going to fall in love with that style of his game. That I think Jamal Williams yeah. is going to be on the field a lot. So so I'm I'm totally cool with the landing spot. I think he's gonna be a, a, a damn near flex option for you in, in fantasy leagues. Yeah, I really agree. I think it's a team that you know both values him and you know I've been thinking more and more about Detroit and how many different things um, they need. I don't think that there's many organizations that you need to point out that that wide receiver at the top of the draft doesn't really win championships. You know, this is the team that took Charles Rogers and Roy Williams and then Calvin Johnson, I believe three years in a row. And uh, while Calvin's a hall of famer, you know, none, none of that ever event, you know, led to any sort of winning. Um, mm-hmm. I know Jalen Waddles mocked there a lot. I know, you know, if Jamar Chase got there, I think people think that they would take him. I'm starting to wonder more if they're building a brand as opposed to like the team that could win the most games in 2021. Um, and I, so I'm starting to wonder if they don't address wide receiver at the top of this draft and you have Jared Goff as your quarterback, you're going to be running the ball a heck of a lot. And I just, I sort of feel like that that this is a team that's going to rely on its running game. And while they could address it in the draft at some point, 
Um, not a lot of good options there, first off. But also, I, I you know, um, I think Jamal Williams is more than serviceable in that job. I think I think you're right. I think 150 touches is like the floor for Jamal Williams this year. I would be shocked if he went anywhere below that. Um, and I think pushing 200 is, is possible for him. Well, and not to make this uh, a Dan Campbell hour-long discussion, <laughs> but they did give him a six-year leash, so they're not giving up on him right away. This team's going to take on his personality. I agree. They're going to be a smashy-in-the-mouth team, or at least that's yep. what they're going to try to be. Jamal Williams will absolutely have a big role next year. Yep, unless, you know, somebody falls into their lap into the second round. You know, Najee's sitting there, and maybe they do something, but... But I just I think the the in all likelihood yes I think he's going to be a huge part of this offense and uh, we both have liked the film for some time now with him in the division and we'll get to see uh, we'll get to see more of him. Kind of speaking of a guy that um, has been in our division for a long time, um, I mentioned we're going to talk Carlos Hyde, but I'm also going to talk a little Marvin Jones too. Both of them are moving uh, to Jacksonville to join uh, the presumed number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, along with Chark and James Robinson and, and LaVisca Chenault. Um, this is an offense that's really, really shaping out. And, um, you know, I went back and watched Marvin Jones' film. I watched every every uh, either target or reception he had from last year. Um, and it was kind of watching Corey Davis all over. If you eliminated the um, the vertical part of the, you know, his targets and receptions, um, very similar, running a lot of digs and deep crossers, a lot of out routes, and then a lot of the vertical part of the, the route tree. And um, that's where he really excels is down the field um, on post routes, on, on go balls, where, where Matt Stafford can kind of just put it in a general area. Um, no Marvin Jones is going to play with leverage. And I think that's something that, that Trevor Lawrence and this Jacksonville team is going to really, really appreciate. Um, you know, I think that, you know, they've got five for, uh, first or second round pick. So I think this is a team that's going to, you know, build on the defensive side, but it's probably going to help themselves a little bit offensively. But you just look at what they have going for them. Um, James Robinson, you know, you had Carlos Hyde. I think the running back room's good. I think they'll improve that um, throughout this draft. I just, I think, you know, for so long it's been presumed Trevor Lawrence has been the 101. And so I feel like kind of one of the funnest things about, um, being the 101 is your team kind of gets this national spotlight and focus. And I feel like so much this year, it's just kind of like Trevor Lawrence at one moving on and uh, Jacksonville's kind of getting the short end of the stick on that one. And so um, just kind of what are your thoughts on this Jacksonville offense overall? I'll talk about Carlos Hyde in a second here, but um, just your thoughts on how Marvin Jones fits, what that potentially means for DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault. Um, and I don't think we should forget about Colin Johnson. So if you want to hit on any of those wide receivers, go ahead. Right. Yeah, we've uh, we do a game draft uh, in the in season on our Thursday show where we pick the three games we're most excited to watch. I got to imagine this Jacksonville team is going to be picked uh-huh. down there every single week. I'm so excited for this offense. I, I, I mean, Carlos Hyde, I think, was the perfect complement to James Robinson, a really good veteran presence. He knows Urban Meyer. He's the kind of guy to bring into this locker room that when Urban Meyer starts to piss people off, Carlos Hyde be like, this is <laughs> part of the process. We're, we're going to be fine. Um, so I think that was very smart. Um, Marvin Jones, I guess, I, I, I like him a lot as a player, and I understand why they were enticed by him, but doesn't he feel a bit redundant to DJ Chark? Are, am I off, a little off there, yes. No, you're not off. You're absolutely not off. But, you know, you look at sort of where he came from. He felt a little bit redundant to Kenny Galladay. And it never seemed to be an issue. And it seems like, you know, Jacksonville, while they're not just going to cut DJ Chark and let him walk for nothing, 
Um, it feels like with their in you know actions and what they've sort of done in the draft this year previously, um, it feels like they're sort of giving us indications of what they want to happen long term with DJ Chark. And so um, the film on Marvin Jones makes me believe that either he's going to be a great complement to Chark or he's good enough to take on that role if Chark. Um, either can't stay healthy like last year or if he doesn't have his head on straight because of all the controversy surrounding his situation there. Um, nothing on, Let me put it this way. Nothing on tape told me that Marvin Jones couldn't be that same player next to um, DJ Chark, even if he takes that next step, uh, based on what I saw in Detroit. When you mentioned Colin Johnson, too, I do like him as a talent, too. And so we're starting to get pretty deep in our receiver core. We got four guys that I think we're both at least in some level fond of. But we Mm -hmm. haven't really talked about LaVisca, who I'm very fond of. But um, like you said, all the draft capital they have, uh, it's not outside the realm of possibility that there's just a wide receiver staring them in the (laughs) face. that They're like, this guy's too damn good. And, yeah, without the opportunity of knowing who that is, if they were to draft a receiver, which guy are you most scared of? about value plummeting um i think it would be dj shark at that point yeah i I really think they brought marvin jones in for a reason i I don't think that they would have signed him to this contract if they thought um you know dj shark was was a part of of their long-term you know plans um i think it's very likely we see him dealt on draft day and i think if somebody fell into their lap that that was just too good of a value to turn down um i think that would just sort of expedite that process more than likely um, I like DJ Chark as a player, but, you know, um, it just feels like this organization has been pretty clear with with what they want um, to happen here. Carlos Hyde, I'll, I'll touch on a little bit, and you, you mentioned it. He's, he's a great compliment to James Robinson, especially from a dynasty perspective, uh, because I don't think he detracts at all from what James Robinson is or does. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a skill set that Carlos Hyde has that's better than James Robinson. So I think he's basically there to be in a fill-in, you know, a fill-in role. Basically, I watched uh, all of Carlos Hyde's pass catches and, and targets because I wanted to see if maybe that was something that he could siphon off of James Robinson. Um, and then I watched, uh, basically, on NFL Game Pass, you can search for, like, big plays, anything over 20 yards. And I just kind of wanted to see um, some of the more explosive plays was, you know, were they blocked up for him or was Carlos Hyde creating? Um, and actually, you know, that because that's always been – his big ticket item is he can hit long plays. He's got good long speed for a big back, you know, and um, there is one play last year against uh, Washington. I think it was pretty late in the season, week 14, 15, I forget exactly which week, um, but where he he gets a good hole, but he shows good vision to get through it and then makes the guy miss right in the hole. There's a little bit of gas still left in that tank. And while um, I've never been a huge fan of Carlos Hyde, um, I think this is this is the perfect signing if you're a James Robinson manager. Um, I think he, you know, should now again five picks in the first two rounds here for this team. So kind of like wide receiver, if a running back value is just staring them in the face, um, we're not quite out of the woods yet on James Robinson. But um, as I think we've said in in previous shows, and nothing on film really changed my mind as to that being the case. Um, Carlos Hyde is not a threat to James Robinson's job. Um, and you, sh- you shouldn't treat it as such. And frankly, if you can buy on that type of, uh, thought process, I would, I would go, go out and do it still. Um, yeah, Robert, I guess that's sorry, a go good ahead. point. Their draft capital is kind of what's slowing me down on, on trading for too many of these guys. Cause it was, there's just that possibility. Any, any, you know, Najee Harris could be a Jaguar. It could just sure. happen. Like who knows? 
No, and you're you're absolutely right about that. You know, the one last thing I wanted to say about Carlos Hyde, and maybe it's scouting the helmet a little bit, um, kind of, you know, you sort of do a reverse cop, like who does Carlos Hyde remind me of coming out this year? And it kind of is Trey Sermon. And, and I guess the reason I say that is because um, at this point in, in his career, Carlos Hyde is not really trying to make too many guys miss. He's primarily trying to run people over, and that's that's okay. That's fun to watch. That's, you know, something that NFL teams value. Um, but at the same time, when I saw him get hit from the side, when he maybe didn't necessarily see it coming, I mean, he wins through contact, but when it doesn't, doesn't sort of see it coming, he sort of topples over, um, because I think he's a little bit top heavy. He needs to be the one initiating contact. That's kind of what I've said about Trey Sermon throughout this whole process. And I've, I've come around to your thinking that he's a top five guy in this class, just because I think this class doesn't offer a lot. But it was sort of interesting to kind of like reverse scout somebody like that. I'm watching a pro and who does he remind me of in this class? And it was Trey Sermon, um, another OSU back. So that was just something that I sort of thought and thought was interesting when I was watching film. Yeah, and I think it was Daniel Jeremiah that likes to say, I get so in the woods scouting college players. Every now and then it's good to just watch some pros and, Real and players, just to yeah. refresh your palate, if you will. So that's something I'm trying to do more and more of. And I think it helps me not get too carried away one way, one way or the other on some of these youngsters. Absolutely. Well, that was all I had on Carlos side, unless you had anything else you wanted to say on on Jacksonville, who, frankly, you know, maybe we should just talk them as a as a whole. Obviously, Trevor right. Lawrence, if he's anywhere near as good um, as, you know, advertised, I think this is an offense that's going to be really good for a long time. Um, is there any of these pieces specifically that you would be – I mean, and, and feel free to say DJ Chark, too. I could see his value plummeting further as we, you know, continue to head towards the draft, and um, especially if they make a wide receiver pick. I you know, I still like his talent. Is there a guy that you want to sort of say as a as a buy or a sell on Jacksonville? I think the guy that's safest in his role, in a weird way, is LaVisca Chenault. He's yep. the guy I've been buying with confidence, and I think he's the guy I would recommend. Um, and also to kind of preview our next episode, we're going to be breaking down the top 10 tight ends. That's something they need. And Pat Fryermuth just feels like such yeah. a perfect fit for them. I'd almost be shocked if they didn't draft him. Yeah, at this point, we, we've mocked him there so many times, and me and you have done these exercises sort of on our on our free time, just kind of having fun or writing an article. Uh, yeah, it feels like almost a, a certainty in one of those first, you know, those three picks kind of in that 20 to 40 range that they have um, that, that Pat Fryermuth is going to be a Jaguar one way or another, and that would get me very excited. Um, I think in pre-NFL draft, uh, rookie drafts, he's going for, for a bargain, and I think that will – uh, that will change. We're at about 50 minutes here, Newts, and I think that's kind of what we're shooting for going forward, kind of just be a little bit mm-hmm. more brief, and um, I think that's a good thing. So why don't we cut it off there? I am at Dynasty Oasis on Twitter. You are at Nasty Newts on Twitter, N-A-S-T-Y-N-E-U-T-Z. I spelled the whole thing for you there. Thank uh, you. Please leave us a five-star rating review. Subscribe to the show. Uh, we thank you very much for listening. Get us out of here on a birthday, Newts. Well, yeah, I didn't prompt you with this question, so you have very little time to think about this, but it's Vincent Van Gogh's birthday today who once famously cut off his ear and gave it to a woman as a gift. So I want to know which fantasy, which dynasty player would you cut your ear off for and (laughs) gift it to? Well, man, I got to stay on brand. It's Brandon Ayuk, especially after we, we didn't really talk about that. Maybe that's where we end it. 
Uh, wheels up for Brandon Ayuk. I don't care if it's Mac Jones, if it's Trey Lance, if it's Justin Fields, baby. Uh, Brandon Ayuk's going to have a big season this year. People are still slipping. They don't. They still don't know how good this kid is. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was the funnest part of my Friday was getting excited for my my Brandon Ayuk shares coming up this year. So that's the player I cut my ear off for you for Newt's. Uh, you got you got a guy. Uh, lovely ears off for Ayuk. Um, CD Lamb, come on, okay, he can have yeah. all my ears. I don't okay. need any Stay of them. Stay on brand. Yeah, <laughs> he can have all my ears. You have more than two. <laughs> uh, that's uh, private. Private question. Fair enough. Well, I think we should leave it there. Uh, it was fun talking to you. Oh, uh, up on on the upcoming show, we're gonna do tight ends. We're gonna do our final. <laughs> Uh, film review and final uh, positional rankings for tight ends. We're going to give you at least uh, our top 10 and maybe a couple honorable mentions. We'll hit them with some superlatives. Um, and that's going to be the Thursday show. So we hope that you'll uh, tune back then. Um, and yeah, Newts, I just look forward to talking to you then. Yep. Yeah. See you guys later. Uh, have a good week, everybody.